Today we're blessed to have a visiting pastor with us. Uh, pastor Chip Anderson has come this morning from New Haven, Connecticut, where he serves uh, as a pastor there in the Hill neighborhood, one of the, uh, one of the uh, I believe the term you used was under-resourced, uh, more urban uh, areas uh, just outside of the, the city center in New Haven. Uh, Chip is relatively new to the PCA, although he has a lifetime of ministry and experience. Uh, you began your ministry, I believe, as a pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church, was originally ordained there uh, several decades ago, um, and, uh, and served faithfully, and then uh, served for quite a while as a social worker, uh, and working as a community resource officer in many ways, uh, and uh, was in the community uh, and involved with the church that, uh, that was begun by Tolliver Wills, a missionary that we supported a number of years ago before he moved on. Uh, and as he related this morning, uh, kind of fell into the position, um, but, uh, but had already con been convinced of the Reformed faith, and so a number of years ago was uh, transferred his ordination into the PCA and continues to minister there in the Hill, faithfully bringing uh, the word uh, to the people there and teaching Reformed doctrine uh, and truth in the, in the community where he serves. And we are blessed to have Chip with us this morning, so please, Chip, come and open God's word for us. just want to remind you, you have been told you're going to be blessed up front, okay? And I'm putting on a hat. Some of you are saying, oh, gosh, who's this guy? All right, don't worry, it's not staying on the whole time, I promise. All right, Chip Anderson, right? Uh, pastor, lead pastor of Church Planting in the Hill. My wife and I um, um, are now residents of the Hill, so that's... Uh, that's the new news for most anybody that's met us in the past. Uh, today, uh, I would like to bring a message to you from Matthew 4 through 11. No, that is not a mistake. Um, one person told me they like that. Um, so I don't know where you all stand, but uh, we're going to try. And I told your pastor I'll do my best to only preach four messages this morning. No, I was kidding, all right? Um, but um, I want to take a look at this passage that, that um, I think will speak to us. Uh, as of January 1st, my wife and I are now living in the hill. Um, we, we moved there, and we love being there. We're on Carlisle Street, right in the middle of some of the activities that we actually do in the hill, right next to the, summer, the park that we do uh, summer barbecue. Uh, some of you know about that ministry. We're actually in eyesight of that park. Um, I'm even close enough to walk downtown to meetings that I might have in the city and, and to, you know, to be part of the city. And um, I was actually walking back one night, and it was nighttime, I was walking back one night from an alderman's meeting where the public was asked to come and give comment. I did not give comment other than, your mic isn't working, we can't hear you. That was my comment for the night, and, uh, which I think was planned, so... And, um, but anyway, on the way back, um, I was uh, heading back to our apartment, it's only a couple of blocks away actually, and um, I come to a, a, a one way where it's an intersection, you kind of have to wait for the little white light guy to come on, right? And I'm waiting there and there's two gentlemen standing next to me and you can kind of tell they're kind of down out. I would assume uh, uh, that they are probably homeless, just the way they were carrying themselves and what they were carrying. 
And um, all of a sudden, they just went out onto the street. The light hadn't changed. The traffic was still coming. Thank goodness it was one way. And um, I decided that maybe I'll go too because one of them had a walker. <laughs> that is not a good thing in the middle of traffic. And so I, I, I come out with the guy with the walker, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, no. You know, I turned to him, and I said, they'll have to hit me first. He smiled and said, thank you. I don't know if that was a habit of his or not. But anyway, we made it across, um, obviously alive. We made it across, and um, I, we chatted for a few seconds, and they were moving slow, and I, I just wanted to walk home as late. And I, I noticed a Dunkin' Donuts sign um, store, and I just remembered I had a Dunkin' Donuts card in my wallet that my mom had given me for a Christmas present that I had yet spent. And I didn't know what was on it because I didn't have it, so I had to stop in. They scanned it, 10 bucks. I said, okay, good. And I went back outside. The guys were still coming, real slow. And um, I shouted out, hey, anybody here like coffee? You guys like coffee? And they said, yes, we do. And I said, good, I have a $10 gift certificate card for Dunkin' Donuts right here if you would like that. And they said, oh, that would be great, thank you. And we can get a sandwich, too. And I said, yes, you can do whatever you want with it. There you go. And they said, thank you. And I said, really, you need to thank my mom. She's the one who gave it to me. And uh, they said, well, then thank your mom, too. And I did thank my mom. As soon as I got home, I texted her, said, thank you, mom. And um, uh, then I said, you know, you'll probably see me around town. You'll see the, the ponytail. You'll see the hat. And they stopped me. They, I, I didn't even have to get any further. They said, we know who you are. You are the pastor of the church on Davenport. Well, how about that, huh? Uh, I just thought priceless. Some guys, some homeless guys, knew who I was even a couple of blocks outside the hill. And um, it started making me think that we as Christians need to be known. And if I get my New Testament right, I actually think we need to be known for the things that indicate the presence of the gospel of the kingdom. This morning I would like to bring uh, a message from a thread, if you will, of passages in the Gospel of Matthew. There is a narrative thread here in Matthew chapters 4 through 11 that I think we need to listen to, which focuses on Jesus' association with tax collectors, with the poor, with the unclean, and the presence of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew is asking his readers this question. How do others know that the kingdom of God has appeared. How do others know that the kingdom of God has appeared? Now, this is a spoiler. I'm going to tell you right up front. Matthew tells us they are associated with the poor, marginalized. They can see that we are associated with the poor, the marginalized, the cast outs, and the unclean. This is how they know. Can you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share with my brothers and sisters right here. Between Matthew's gospel and some slices of life in the hill, I pray that you would speak to us so that we might hear your word and with joy want to do it. We can't do that without you, but we do ask that you would help us. Help us also to be adequate hearers of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing 
that uh, I want to bring across is that we are to follow a Jesus around. We are to follow Jesus around and do or repeat what he does. Um, most of us like to take small bites of the Bible, just little small bites of the Bible. Uh, sometimes we miss big picture things, and this is a big picture thing that I believe that if we can see it and hear it, we will actually become better readers of the Bible, better readers of Matthew, and also, I think, better followers of Jesus. So we actually begin in Matthew 4.19, where Jesus invites us, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm sure you probably have heard that before. You've heard it probably preached before. It actually, it, it, it says, follow, literally follow or come after me and I will make you fishers of men. The command is to come after Jesus. That's the command. Follow after me. And there is enough in there to actually get the idea that it's actually really follow me around. Come follow me around. Most people who think of this fishers of men text think the command is to be fishers of men. They, they, they seem to read out the fact that that's a promise. The command is to follow Jesus, literally to follow him around, and he will make you fishers of men. So I think that if we get the following correct, we will become fishers of men. So what does this mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus around? Jesus, Matthew actually tells us straight out. Just after the call to follow Jesus, Matthew reveals what it's like to follow Jesus around. Just after. In fact, I think there's a little bit of inspiredness. I'm a preacher. I'm allowed to invent words. All right? I don't, do you do that? Yeah, yeah, see, I'm good. That's all right. I'm supposed to do that, right? And we, uh, that word, inspiredness. There's something inspired about Matthew placing things where they are, and I think we need to hear them. So right after... Jesus commands us to follow him around, and he will make us fishers of men. Matthew tells us what that's like. Matthew 4, 23 and 24. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So that his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Matthew tells us we are made fishers of men by following Jesus around and doing what he did. So what did he do? He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction of those sick and diseased oppressed, mentally unstable, those that make us uncomfortable with uncontrollable seizures, and those who can't walk. We're all familiar, I'm sure, in this audience with the Sermon on the Mount and its amazing wisdom. The crowd that is caught up by Jesus' fame is right there. Matthew actually tells us that Jesus, seeing the crowd, verses five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, after seeing the crowd, Jesus sits down to teach his fisher followers about the kingdom. And he begins with the description of those that make up the crowd. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. This is the same crowd that Matthew tells us at the end of the sermon, at the very end, he says, and the crowd was amazed at Jesus' teaching. So you have the crowd right there, this very crowd that Jesus was demonstrating what it's like to be fishers of men. What we might not realize, I'm really big at what follows, you know, and you're going to get that. Um, I was thinking this morning we're going to bleed Bible. So if you have your Bibles, don't worry, I'm actually going to go through, all right? I'm not going to jump around. But um, most of us know the Sermon on the Mount, but most of us don't realize the very first encounter Jesus has after the Sermon on the Mount is put there purposely by Matthew. I, I'm, I'm making that assumption, but I think it's a good assumption. He could have chose a number of encounters to put there, but he chooses this one. And this is what it says in Matthew 8, 1 through 3. When he came down from the mountain... Oh, I can hear those Bibles turning. Thank you. That is so cool. You train them well, sir. All right? When he came down from the mountain... Remember, that's where the sermon was. Great crowds followed him. There are the crowds. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This is the Sermon of the Mount realized, fulfilled, illustrated right away. I kind of like this one. It's sort of the Monday after Matthew's, Pastor Matthew's sermon, right? It's the Monday after. It's the Monday after the Sunday sermon, right? Now, I'm going to go someplace with all this. I'm sort of setting the stage. So for now, all you need to remember is following Jesus, actually following Jesus around, learning to do what he did. And now we are to repeat. So this brings me to my second point. We reveal the appearance of the kingdom of heaven when we extend mercy to the physically and socially unclean. Lisa and I um, had moved into our apartment in the hill. Uh, we were immediately recognized, immediately recognized. Uh, more typically than not, um, I can walk out my front doors and I'll hear things like, hey, pastor, can I talk to you? Hey, pastor, my friend needs some prayer. I, I, it doesn't take much. Um, I don't have to have office hours because I got their hours, I'm telling you. All I have to do is walk out the front door. I'm immediately confronted with many that are unclean, unbathed, reek of smoke and alcohol, with those who aren't very coherent, some who spent the night in the park that's near us, or the night selling themselves to support drug habits. This isn't so far, really, from the crowd whom Jesus ministered to and encountered. I am confronted, I am confronted daily with the difference between the clean and the unclean literally and socially. Now, in Matthew 9, 9, Jesus tells, he calls the tax collector Matthew to follow him. Matthew represents half of the problem group of tax collectors and sinners. And immediately in verse 11, we hear many of Matthew's tax collecting buddies and sinners had come and were reclining at some supper meal with Jesus and the disciples. 
This did not sit well with temple leadership. You have to remember that at this time, the social location of that is so different than ours. It, this would have been a public event. There would have been um, uh, neighbors and the crowd and, 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 and people who were just curious who was invited to this, and they would be peering inside. We would all be somewhat uncom uncomfortable with that if we didn't have really wall. We, you know, we have walls in our living room and our dining room and kitchen. Back in those days, they ate in places that were very public in their own homes. So people actually knew who was invited over. And probably the Pharisees had gotten the attention, and this is often what would happen, that someone would call someone out, come here, come here, I want to ask you a question. And the Pharisees probably got one or two of the disciples over, and they asked that question. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now Jesus overhears that because just like Everything's public. He can also hear, I'm sure. And he takes the opportunity to teach everyone. So in verses 12 and 13, it says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This begins a long thread of accusations from the temple leadership against Jesus. They don't like the nature of his fishing. The accusation from the Pharisees, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners, is juxtaposed with Jesus explaining his mission. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So we have those who do not need a physician. In the context, meaning the accusing Pharisees. And we have those who are sick, meaning the tax collectors and sinners. This is Matthew's pattern. Now, let's be fair to Matthew. We like to read a text like this, and we say, well, everyone's like a tax collector, and we all sin. Right? Isn't that how we typically read this? Because everybody sins. We, we know this. All right? But I, I think that we shouldn't level and equalize this text. I think the text tells us who Jesus is talking about. Now, I, I think it's no problem with Matthew. He is a tax collector. So he fits that role. You know he's talking about tax collectors, right? So he's the tax collector in that one. Tax collectors are not only uh, the bottom of everyone's hate list. All right? They are traitors of the worst kind. They're Israelites working for Caesar. So being a tax collector is not a good thing. Now sinners, now again, we, we simply sometimes hear that and we say everyone. Tax collectors and everyone because everyone sins, right? You know, um, although that's true, by the way, just in case I don't want to get thrown out of the Presbyterian, brand new, um, everybody sins, right? But that's really not what Jesus is referring to. He's not even referring to those who realize they are sick, right? Isn't that how we turn that a little bit? We sometimes say, well, Jesus really came not to uh, uh, bring salvation to those who think they're well, but realize they're sick. I mean, we do that with the text. Uh, um, but Matthew has been pretty clear who the sick are. He's been pretty clear that his crowd that's following him around and his disciples following him around are made up of all those sick. How about that, huh? Those afflicted with various diseases and pains. 
These are most assuredly the narrative sinners in this text. The sick, the mentally unstable, the diseased, the lame. Elsewhere in the Gospels, we know sinners are outsiders. Even one, one Gospel tells us Gentiles because they're outside. They are sinners. Uh, some places it will say they're the uneducated, those in sympathy with the empire, those ignorant of the law, those outside the insiders, those outside the insiders of the temple leadership, their friends and the family. This is why the the Pharisees are offended by Jesus. They don't like the nature of his fishing. Jesus says in the same breath in Matthew 9, 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous but sinners. I did not call the righteous but the sinners. Again, we tend to read this as if Jesus said this, I desire you to be saved by grace and not by works, because sacrifices can't save you. Now, you might not be admitting it, but we read it that way. A lot of people read it that way. And uh, I think that's good. Actually, that is very, that's a true statement. But I think misses Jesus' point. Why this tension or opposing attributes of sacrifice and mercy? Sacrifice is a purity impulse. Sacrifice is a purity impulse, something that we give up or we put to death uh, so that we can be more pure, more sanctified, more clean. I walk out my front door, if I want to be clean, those are the wrong people to be around, both physically and socially. All right? And I think that is how we should read this. Sacrifice is a boundary marker. Uh, I know parents will do this, and rightly so, by the way. I'm not trying to change your discipline habits for your kids. But don't go over there because I don't want you associating with those people. You, you understand, right? Sacrifice, you can't do something. There's a boundary here. Don't cross it because you want to keep your cleanness. All right? Mercy blurs the distinction, bringing clean and unclean into contact with one another. We are most glad and thankful that Jesus chooses mercy over sacrifice. Are we not? Jesus chooses mercy over sacrifice. Looking at the surrounding miracles, and I'm not going to cover them all, but I'm just going to list them, the, the miracles that are all worked in, all the things that Jesus was doing in chapter 8, 9, and 10. Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus' proximity, just being around the crowd, allows a woman with a 12-year discharge to touch him. Jesus takes the hand of a dead girl. Jesus touches the eyes of two blind men. Jesus casts out demons from a deaf mute. These are not the things you do if you want to stay clean, especially in this culture, in that culture. I don't think it's much different in our culture. We live out mercy by being in proximity of the crowd and thus touching the unclean, literally and socially. This is following Jesus around. This is doing what Jesus did. Here we are made fishers of men, demonstrating that the kingdom of heaven has appeared. I'm not nervous. I am nervous. I always get nervous. But my hand shakes. It's, it's one of these things. I'll have it for the rest of my life. That's why I can't pour communion cups. It's all over the place. <laughs> all right, the third thing. We demonstrate the presence of the kingdom by sending laborers into God's field to do what Jesus did. We have moved into the hills. 
we relocated. You, I just want to say thank you because you all helped to make that possible. All right? You have as much stake in this ministry as really Lisa and I because we have not been able to do what we've done up to this point without your support and prayers. And um, we, I'm going to start crying. My wife and I cry a lot. It's a, it's a good attribute in the hill. Um, but uh, thank you. This is important. Most pastors of churches like the hill, most pastors of churches like our church in the hill do not live in the community they minister in. That's a big problem. That's one reason why we relocated. It wasn't even really an option. When I said yes, I meant yes, we will actually move into the hill. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a big deal. Our neighbors are telling us a big deal. A teenager walking down the street that knows me from somewhere else says, hey, Pastor Chip. And I say, hey, how you doing? And I always, I always ask about school. And then I'll say, you know, we're living right here. And he goes, you're living here? The, even the teenagers get it. Pastors don't live here. Politicians are like, you've moved where? Right? And these are politicians in the hill. All right? And uh, I think this is huge because there is a connection between the gospel and the community, between shepherds and the community, between churches and the community. No wonder Jesus calls for laborers of the harvest. Here's another summary. Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That's almost like a repeat from chapter 4, right before the Sermon on the Mount, right? Then verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The reason Jesus has compassion is that they were sheep without a shepherd, harassed and dispirited. I actually like that word for that word um, that, that Matthew is using, dispirited. Jesus mixes metaphors. By the way, you've probably noticed that. He mixes metaphors. He'll talk about running and fishing. You know, what, I don't know. I don't get that all the time. So here we have Jesus. He mixes his metaphors, and he says there's a need for shepherds for the harvest is ripe. It's ready. Harvest is a great eschatological. Do I have to explain that, Matthew? They, they'll get that, right? A great, sorry, I just assumed, you know. Um, my pat, trust me, if I say something my people don't get, either their look or they'll actually say, Pastor, could you, could, what does that mean? Right in the middle of a sermon, you know? And uh, so I've learned to start preparing for that so they don't do that, right? right. And uh, anyway, so the, this, this harvest term is used throughout the Old Testament. Harvest means the end of the age has appeared and the kingdom of God is right there. But it also just suggests that the end is near. Now, of course, eschatologically near, right? Because we can't, we can't say when it's going to happen, but we know it's near. But it's also a timely word because the time of the harvest is now. This gives us an urgent frame for the task. We should not be surprised that there is a relationship between the crowd of outsiders, unclean, lame, diseased, their condition of harassed and dispirited, and the 
absence of the shepherd. People die without a shepherd. Why do we plant churches? Why do we call pastors? Why do we send people into ministry? Because Jesus says people die, and you can attach the word spiritual, but you heard the list of the people. It's real life. People die without a pastor. This is why we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers and send shepherds into the field. I am really humbled by how I'm greeted around our apartment. Uh, the typical pastor, right? You know, pastor, they get that one. I, I like that one. I like it because it's the hill. They don't, they'll say, Rev, right? The older will say Reverend because they're used to that, but the younger will call me Rev. Um, I like this one, park pastor, because they know me as the pastor in the park, right? And uh, my favorite is, is when they shout out, hey, preach! <laughs> all right? I think that's a new category of calling. I think we need to find vows for that one, all right? Um, but here's the one that actually has humbled me and actually pauses me right where I'm at when someone says that I am the pastor of the hill. Isn't that crazy? I, I do not look like the hill. I haven't even been living in the hill that long. I haven't been associated with the hill that long. But there are numbers of people that call me the pastor of the hill. They say, they, they'll tell me that, right? You are the pastor of the hill. I had just walked out of our uh, apartment front door heading for a, my car um, that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't um, to go to a meeting when I heard, hey, pastor, come over here. And this happens a lot. I already said that. I do not carry cash with me. All right? I don't carry cash with me because I need to say, no, I have no cash. Because usually it's, you have a dollar. Right? And uh, they've also figured out that people will be more sympathetic if you think you're buying them a bus ticket. You have $8.50 for a bus ticket. Yeah? And uh, so I just say, no cash. I, I never have cash. Never. Never. Never have cash. And that's sometimes hard to pull off, um, but I, I actually try not, never to have cash. And that's an important uh, rule of ministering. Uh, so, but I, I, I do usually say no. And I, I, that's exactly what I said to this, this neighbor. Um, uh, no, I don't. You know, uh, I was going I, I to say that, right? But yet I'm a neighbor, right? And I'm a pastor. And at least a lot of people know that I'm a pastor. And so sometimes I find other ways to help. Um, the, this morning, this older gentleman that called me over, uh, uh, who lives across the street, he's even admitted that his drinking, uh, he has such a bad drinking problem, he's almost always inebriated, um, and it has a bad heart, can't even walk very far without stopping and trying to catch his breath, so he has a cane. Uh, he, he pulled me over in close and whispered, you have do you have a bag of groceries? That's a tough one. Uh, I gave him my normal reply, but I also said, when I get back, I'll see what I can do to get you some food. To be honest with you, there was not enough in my own refrigerator to give him anything. You know, I, I didn't even have anything uh, um, to, to give him, but um, I wanted to see what I could do after the meeting. I located 20 bucks, and I found him sitting where I left him, which is not unusual. He doesn't get that far. Um, I walked up to him and said, hey, let's go down to the corner store and get 20 bucks worth of groceries that you can use. Just 20 bucks. I told him, no cigarettes, though. 
all right? Uh, that's my, my limit, all right? Cigars, maybe, right? <laughs> no cigarettes, they don't smoke cigars. Uh, hey, hey, I just thought of a great outreach. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. That was good. I like that one. Um, so we walk slowly, about every 25 feet, having to stop, let him catch his breath. Once inside the store, it's a little corner store. A lot of these neighborhoods have two or three corner stores. It was missional. Oh, school had just gotten out. There were a whole bunch of kids in there, right? There was a small crowd of adults, too. And all of a sudden, I hear one of the teens shout out, hey, Pastor Chip, you know? And I'm, I start going around, hi, I'm Pastor Chip, I'm, you know? And you get a lot of fist bumps because we try not to shake hands in the hill, you know? We know that. Um, and I introduce myself to others, you know? And uh, then my older neighbor friend surprised me when he started going around and saying, this is my pastor. This is my pastor. And he did it more than once. I'm not doing like a, what I'm doing here. I held back tears then. But, uh, of course, there are plenty of food resources and shelters. Plenty of food pantries in New Haven. That's, that's easy. There's... That's usually my go-to. I usually tell people where they are, but I really have a I have a I really have a I have an issue with that. It's really hard for me to do. That. I did that for 20 years, by the way, telling people where all the food was, right? But uh, this was a neighbor, uh, someone that um, I talked to regularly, and to whom I have actually given some street pastoral counseling. I just have to walk out the door maybe four days a week walking out the door and I'm pastoral counseling right there on the street. Can't give him my card and say, come to my office, call me. I have to do it right then, right there. This man uh, is abused by his boarding room roommate. We have confession times and as well, I think. His food stamp card is taken regularly. The gentleman only really kind of knows uh, his drinking problems and his bad health. Landlord won't do anything. And by the way, if I were to find the landlord and complain, it would just make it worse for him. But uh, this gentleman knows that that's what he's got, drinking habits, bad habits. His heart's not good. And sometimes Jesus shows up as his neighbor, who just also happens to be his pastor. These people need a shepherd. It's no surprise that immediately after having compassion for the sheep and praying for the needed laborers to go into the harvest, Jesus appoints the 12 in Matthew 10, 1 through 4. Although there is far more to this list and mission than we're going to go through this morning, I want to call attention to one thing very much related to our thread here. Jesus instructs them to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He calls the 12 disciples and gives them the authority to do what he was doing. They have followed Jesus around and now they are to be fishers of men by casting out demons and healing every disease and every affliction. And so they were to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is present. 10.8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And so this brings me to the last 
And I'm not like one of those preachers that have lots of laughs. Trust me, it's laughs. It's a long last. Our church life. See, we're getting in there. This is not for the disciples. This is not for John the Baptist. This is not for that crowd. This is written for us. So our church life should be an invitation to come to Jesus, take his yoke, and find rest. We are to embody the invitation to come now. Our little church, CPC in the Hill, if you were here for Sunday school, you, you got some of this already, but our little church puts itself in the community all the time. We, we're constantly at community things as a church and, and, and as individuals, but even more so as a church. Um, where Maxine and I serve on the Hill North Community Management Team. She was, she was elected last year to be the secretary. She was so afraid. I said, I don't care. I don't know if your pastor does that to you when you say, I don't think I can do it. He, he's probably too polite to say, I don't care. But I tell my people when they tell me they can't do something, I don't care. So, um, and she is doing a fabulous, she's, she's so well respected in the community, and they know she's part of our church. This is not something that just happens to be part of her life. She is there because she is part of what God is doing. I, 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 she says that all the time. The free sidewalk breakfast. Some of you, if you're on Facebook, probably have seen that. We help. It's not our event. We help another event uh, do a breakfast every Saturday. Rain, snow, blizzard, ice storm. It doesn't matter. We're out there. Every Saturday, serving breakfast on the street. Our summer barbecue mini, uh, ministry, some, most of you already know, we don't stop for weather either. We've missed two times in five years. This will be our sixth year. Showing up to almost every community event, that's what I was actually at yesterday, and my pastoral street counseling. When John the Baptist was facing the end of his ministry, he told his own disciples to go ask Jesus if he was the one or should they be looking for another. Now, I do not know if this was for John. Some people think John had doubts. I doubt he had doubts. Some people say it was for the disciples so they could get transferred. I think it's probably closer to it. But for sure, this is written for the church. This is for us to hear. How are people to know that Jesus is the one and there is no one else to look for? Jesus asked them, what did they see? Did you hear that? He asks them in Matthew 11, what did you see? Which implies action, demonstration, something's happening. How do you know, Jesus says. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the gospel have the poor, pre the, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Matthew 11, 4 through 6. No doubt this is Matthew's version of Isaiah 61, which promises that the Spirit would come down, come down on the Messiah and he would do all these things and bring justice and preach the gospel to the poor. So this is Matthew's version. And then right after that, we hear again. They say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, we come to the end of our thread, Matthew 11, where Jesus invites all who labor and are heavy laden to come. First, Jesus says this. He praises the Father 
that all things have been handed over to him, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom Jesus chooses to reveal him. As Presbyterians, we love hearing straight out this idea of divine election. Right? This is a fantastic text to remind us that God is in charge of calling people to himself. But we forget right away the next sentence Jesus gives the means of grace. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I asked my congregation uh, when I was preaching on, I don't do this to my poor congregation, by the way. I have a lot of stuff like that. I do smaller bites. But we were in Matthew 11 and um, getting here, and I said, how do you think the young church, the first 150-year church, how did they in the, become the largest religious sect, volunteer sect in the Roman Empire? How did they do that? I believe what happened was is they followed Jesus around and then repeated what he did. They accepted all into fellowship. This changed households, street by street, village by village, table by table. Our table's in the back, so I was about to point back there. But table by table. It all changed when gathered churches lived out, come all who labor and are heavy burdened. We are to embody the invitation to come. Are we not? We come Sunday after Sunday because we need to be refreshed in the gospel. We need to hear the gospel all the time because it is the power of the gospel that we need so that we can be the gospel in our community. Um, I'm not, this is probably, being a Presbyterian, you're allowed to confess, Right? Not too public, we have that silent moment, right? We all do that. Um, so make, make, this is my confession. I might not really be, I might get a lot wrong. In fact, I might get everything else wrong about church planting. This is not a good thing to tell the church that's supporting you. <laughs> but uh, I might not even be very good at it. At least not good at what is expected. I think some of you who have been following us knew that this is not one of those places that you can just put a model down and get out of it right away what you expect. Um, but one thing I know for sure, one thing I do believe I'll get right, by God's grace, to help CPC in the hill, to help this flock understand and know what it means to follow Jesus around. Our church does this. Our church made up mostly of poor people learning how to love on other people people. By the way, every once in a while, we'll love on someone who's rich, if you have to, you know. <laughs> you know. But seriously, how to preach this stuff to an already poor church is what stumbles on me all the time. But they want to know, how is it to be church? And they're no different, really, somewhat like the early church. Our church needs to be where crowds are. Your church needs to be where crowds are out in the ebb and flow of community life. 
the crowds, even the opposition needs to see what's going on. I don't know if you have opposition here, but uh, um, so far drug dealers and pimps like us because we feed them, you know. Uh, someday that might change. Um, but we do attempt to be out with the crowd. And that's what I admonish this congregation through this word today. Following Jesus means as church, you need to be out in the crowd, demonstrating that the appearance of the kingdom of God has arrived. And may they come into this fellowship and enjoy the worship and growth so that they too can learn. Right? I love what Pastor uh, Herb prayed for our church, people who have yet to be con convinced of Christ's claims. Pretty close to that. Go out in the crowd. Find places where the ministry of the gospel could do this for your own neighborhood. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share the word here. Um, in the midst of that, even sharing what you're doing in the hill. So I ask, Father, that by your grace, um, that your word uh, would settle in our hearts that we might be more sanctified and that we might indeed be more followers and better followers and more dependent followers of the Lord Jesus. Amen.